And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrel. It's Tuesday, May 2nd. It's a Project Prospect edition. I love arbitrary cutoffs on the calendar. We have a new month. I'm excited about it because then we can just take a snapshot of the season and talk about that like it means even more than it actually does. I love to blow things out of proportion with arbitrary <laughs> units of time, even though the calendar is you know, pretty well agreed upon as the way we measure time now. Chris Welsh, you know, Saris, Derek Van Riper all here with you on this Tuesday for our April Rookie Review. We're going to talk about some players at the big league level, how they have performed so far, and probably dig into some players from a dynasty perspective as well and talk about how their value has shifted over the course of the season so far. Now, we're going to start on the position player side today, and we're going to start with James Outman, who from many angles looks like someone that's going to be relevant for the Dodgers for a good while, despite the fact that he has struck out 34.2% of the time this season because he does a lot of things well. He makes very hard contact. He's got a strong arm. He runs well. He actually takes walks. So he's got this thing, and I, I talked about it with Welsh a little bit before the show, you know, where it's this sort of it's this sort of tension that you have between strikeout rate and doing damage. And Outman does enough damage for us to excuse the elevated strikeout rate. But it always leads us to the long-term viability question. What kind of role do we see for Outman? And do we see a path forward where he can improve? Because this is his first prolonged exposure to big league pitching. And there are a lot of interesting skills in what he brings to the table. I mean, when you see a 34% strikeout rate, which I think is probably close to his true talent. I know we've only seen 130 plate appearances for James Outman, but... He strings and misses a lot, and he was near 30% in the minor league. So I think 35 is about what you expect. Now you take that and say, as a lefty against a lefty, what do you expect? 38%? 40%? And if it's 40%, ouch. Yeah, that doesn't work. 40% seems to be the threshold that teams say, this is not working. I'm We're not giving you time. 30%. Right. <laughs> but now, now if you hit the ball hard and play good defense, uh, you can still be in there uh, at 30%. So I would say 40% is too much. And I would say that he is going to probably be limited to being a uh, big side platoon player. Um, although the, the only caveat is if, if he does uh, improve that strikeout rate to, you know, like 25%, which he's shown at some levels in the minor leagues, I think he can, he can play all the time. Strikeout rate improves till the age 26. He's 25. I mean, that's just, that's broad strokes. Obviously, every player is a little different. But this is not a 19, 20, 21-year-old that's come up. This is a guy who's been playing for a while that's come up very close to his peak. This could be his peak. Well, yeah, I guess the the other question you have here, aside from looking at his 2023 value and whether or not you would 
trade him away in a redraft league, thinking about it from a keeper and dynasty league perspective is also challenging because this is the type of profile, Welsh, that you've said gives you a lot of difficulties. The older guy that puts up great numbers, I think that profile has been further complicated in recent years by the lost 2020 season. James Altman was going to be old for the level regardless, but then missing 2020 made him even older for the level, you know, playing at high A and double A in 2021 as yeah. a 24-year-old, right? So all of that makes this even a little trickier to sort out. And what I have found in long-term leagues is players like this, the slightly older breakout types, tend to be better holds or guys to trade for than to trade away, even at their peaks, relatively speaking, because they don't bring back a ton via trade. You actually get a little yeah. bit of a discount. So if you end up being yeah. right about Outman as sort of a circumstantial, like longer track development sort of guy, then you end up with a really nice player for the next couple of seasons. I don't know if you look at this profile and say, five years from now, James Outman's going to be a big side platoon masher in the big leagues, but you're not worried about that far down the road in many circumstances. You're just looking at this season and maybe next that, season. Like, you're more excited that maybe in the next two or three seasons, he's an everyday player. Yeah, and, and, and like you said before, too, these are the guys that give me the biggest struggles, like these late-blooming older guys that also... It's not that he like popped out of anywhere. I was talking with a DVR before uh, about like the AFL, and he was like solid. It was actually very Lars Newtbar-ish, like where Lars wasn't like this big superstar when he was in the AFL, and it just kind of started to gain and gain. Outman was kind of in a similar trajectory that I struggle, but I have seen out in a whole bunch and I've seen the progression from the AFL to, uh, I was telling you Diamondbacks opening day when I saw him and he was crushing balls. You know, I was looking at the profile though. Let me get your guys' take on this. And I'm curious, and this is going to be a weird comp for everybody, but I think you'll know where I'm going with this. I look at the profile and sure the strikeout rate is crazy worrisome. Um, but everything else he does is at a pretty high clip, you know, he's hitting the ball really hard. And the thing that jumped out to me to this comparison was his barrel percentage, which he's got like an 18% barrel percentage. It's a really high barrel percentage for a guy that hits the ball hard and strikes out. And you know what immediately came to my mind? Teoscar Hernandez. Because Teoscar Hernandez mm. is one of those guys that absolutely crushes the ball, hits the ball really hard, has strikeout problems. It was better the last couple of years, but it's over 32% this year. But what does he also do? He also always has like a 15 plus or, you know, maybe 13 plus barrel percentage. So it's a guy that barrels the ball hard, hits the ball really hard, but has swing and miss issues. The only thing that Outman, if you look at their baseball savant page, they're kind of similar. The only thing that works in favor of Outman is he actually has a pretty favorable chase rate compared to Teoscar Hernandez and well, Outman can but, run. But that's, there's a, there's a weird thing there. So Teoscar's aggression probably helps lower his strikeout rate. So yeah. Uh, what you're seeing with Altman is he doesn't swing as much as Teoscar. That's probably the biggest difference. Otherwise, I really get where you're going with this. And I think that there is some athleticism for Altman that will make him play on the upper end of his strikeout uh, possibility outcomes, well, you know. But the problem is if he's more patient, he's going to get more strike threes just by nature of the beast. He's going to see more strike threes go by backwards. And so if he sees more backwards Ks, that, that's going to be more Ks overall. That, so that's actually really interesting. Do you tell a guy like Outman, hey, just be more aggressive? Yeah, because like this year, uh, Teoscar's got a, like a under 2% walk rate. And, and to your point, Outman is in the double digits at walk rate. A fascinating point to it is if you go back and look at Teoscar, his numbers at his 25-26, at 26 in the majors, 33% K rate. 
you know, and it was in the 30s the year before that. And then what happened? It started to progress next year at 20. What is this? 20 more playing time. 20. Yeah. At, uh, at 27 years old, 30 percent, 28 years old, 24 percent. And then it rose a little bit more. So what I'm getting at is like, obviously not like the same players, but there might be similar skill sets in it that to your point, if it can be honed in, maybe Ottman needs to be a little bit more aggressive. And we also have to give him the the benefit of the doubt that like he only has so much time under his belt. He, I don't even think he's actually got out of qualification of rookie prospect qualifications. Mm-hmm. He's not even off my prospect list yet. So just think of who he is at this moment and then think about potential progression. And maybe, just maybe, Tay Oscar is some type of like a sample to look at for a similar skill set. But you did identify like the walk aggressive strikeout rate might be something that doesn't actually work in Outman's favor. One thing that does, I think, work in Outman's favor, one thing that doesn't is that Trace Thompson's on this team. Um, and, uh, and so you have a natural platoon in center. One thing that does work in his favor is that the Dodgers are mixing and matching and looking for offense and you can only mix and match it at a number at like two or three spots. And so, you know, you have to think if they are definitely platooning in left field, right. Um, and, uh, maybe platooning at DH, how many more places can they platoon? And then what is their actual up the middle infield uh, situation? So, um, you know, there is some, possibility that Altman plays every day against righties and a lot of days against lefties in place of David Peralta. Right. He could end up at the bottom of the lineup against lefties, still keep that playing time because he ends up being one of their best options in center field. Anyway, that's a a big part of this too. The other comp I think I could throw out there is maybe Tyler O'Neill from a contact quality swing and miss athleticism perspective. It's from the left side instead of the right side, but we know there's a pretty wide range of outcomes in O'Neill's case. That's been, I think further amplified by the injuries that he's had, but when it's good, it's like a top 100 fantasy player. When it's bad, it's a guy that you have a hard time rostering even in a pretty shallow league. Yeah. Like next year he could hit 220 with, you know, like 18 homers and five stolen bases in the year. Just one last question though on Altman going forward for this season, thinking about the way he approaches plate appearances. If you had to bet on it, or his strikeout percentage. Do you think it's going to be better from this point forward in 2023? The same within like one percentage in the direction. Or worse, as teams get more opportunities to kind of break him down. I'm going to say better. I'm going to go with better. I think this is going to improve. I think he can end the year being a 30% guy overall. He's um he, He's hit off-speed pitches pretty well, but his whiff rates across the board are, are a little bit higher, but fastballs he's been taking advantage of. I just think with that barrel percentage and how he could be potentially used maybe, that I think um, he might be put in better situations to succeed. So I'm going to go that he is better and it ends closer to 30% than it is like 33 or something. You know, I, I had to cheat and pull up the graph. I've got the rolling K rate graph on here. Um, and, uh, he improved. So he started around 40% and then the rolling K rate got down to 25% and then it's gotten worse again recently. But I do think that that's a sort of general trend. There's so something that the, 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 the pitchers figured out where they're like, you know, Oh, okay. That's not working. We have a new approach to Taubman. 
And so he's got to figure that out again. But the fact that he did cut it for a while suggests to me that he can maybe figure out the next thing and cut it again. So I'm going to say the over-under is 32%, which is better than where he is now, but still still not very much better. Slightly better, a better. I think it's also going to be better just because of the type of hitter he is. I think when you see someone this patient, they can make some adjustments. It's not only about mm-hmm. whiffing. It's about getting into a decision to be more aggressive earlier in the count, not ending up in as many two-strike situations. That seems like an adjustment Selectively you can make. aggressive, yeah. Right, so is it ever going to be better than like 28 30% range? I don't think so. Barring massive adjustments, I think part of how he generates his power is probably taking some Swinging legit <laughs> hacks that are <laughs> a little uncontrolled, but I do think he could still improve and seems like an important guy for them currently leads a uh, rookie position players in war by the way by a pretty healthy margin so far so uh, it's been been a nice start for james altman looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There are 18 rookie hitters, by the way, if you use the qualified leaderboard over at Fangraphs with a 100 WRC plus or better. Two are already down with serious injuries. That, of course, Logan Ohapi and Garrett Mitchell. I think two have been optioned, Edward Julien and Jordan Walker. It's been an okay year so far because you've got a few guys who are playing exceptionally well. Corbin Carroll has been phenomenal so far. We're still awaiting. He's still the favorite, I think. He has to be the favorite for rookie of the year, so long as this knee injury isn't anything serious. Now, Welsh... Got anything on Corbin Carroll yet? Have we seen results from that MRI from Monday? No, I have been getting hit up a lot about it, and I haven't got a response on uh, on texting some people about that. But uh, he banged into the wall. He was able to kind of get out on his own. He did have to be helped a tiny bit down the stairs, which is not good. Uh, they brought up Dom Fletcher, who... But he walked off... He was putting weight on it he, when he, he walked off the field. Yeah, but I think the weight was a little bit difficult coming down the stairs. Uh, the initial move was not an immediate IL stint. What they did was they optioned um, one of the relief pitchers that was garbage, and they brought up uh, Dom <laughs> Fletcher. And Dom Fletcher's been playing really well. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I think the team was comfortable moving off. Uh, was he a guy we highlighted in some of our uh, in some of our our, our numbers? He's he a probably... leaderboard jerk that like stands out that you just kind of. You have a hard time seeing him getting a full opportunity in an outfield that crowded. Is that a fair assessment, Welsh? Yeah. I mean, he's like a points league type of guy. He makes contact. He's got a little power speed. This is David Fletcher's brother, if people don't know. This is David Fletcher's brother. So, Oh, you, really? Yeah, you, so you can understand like the skill set stuff that's out there with him. So do you don't believe those ISOs? Because there's some like 200 plus ISOs. No, no I, I think some. No, I don't think he's a 200 plus ISO guy. He can steal. Did you see what bit. I just did there? I was like, he's David Fletcher's brother. I don't believe the ISOs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you put that together. But they brought him up to 
give them a little bit of extra comfort while they're doing this. And then they went for the MRI and we haven't heard about it because the game didn't play. I mean, if this isn't the, they don't have to tell us anything until, yeah, until until today, until they play. And if this isn't the rates and barrels project prospect thing of the day where we end the show and we get news, (laughs) I don't know what is, but all assumptions, at least from what I've heard is things are good. Things are okay. Um, I don't think he would play until Friday because they have another day off on Thursday, which is kind of weird. So that would be my assumption with it. But I think we're okay, knock on wood, you know, whatever other rabbit's foot, whatever you got to do. Glad you said it, not me. Uh, He looks great, though, so far. Four homers, 10 steals in 28 games. It's better than a 20-50 pace if he's able to stay on the field. So that's that's the profile of a pretty soon-to-be first-round fantasy pick. A lot of the batted ball concerns are, are gone. 111 max EV is not, uh, you know, not top 10 or whatever, but it's also above average. It's comfortably above average. 11% bail rate. Again, not the 18% you get from Altman, but hey, for Corbin Carroll, you get a 22% strikeout rate, right? So you're more likely to have better on base batting average numbers. Uh, and then, you know, the, the speed is coming through. What is the uh, what's the overall leaderboard on steals? I want to look at this. Uh, he's overall probably up there. By the by the way, while you're looking at that, just impressive to also throw out that that guy did not walk until like April 20th, and he's got an almost eight percent walk rate already. So just like yeah, think he about got back that. Up like, to league average. Yeah, he yeah. was able to get back up to league average. He's barely over twenty percent uh, strikeout rate. Uh, as far as the, his savant page, it's you know it's near the top like quarter of the league in about everything you know woba and hard hit percentage is in that general vicinity top thirty percent xba. I mean he's a guy that does he, he's surprisingly living up to a lot of the expectations, your, which is tough to do. Your leads the league in steals is still alive. He is tied for fifth with ten. Acuna has thirteen. Mullins has eleven. And also you can uh, just fudge the definition of league uh, and and just be National League if that helps him at all. Yeah, uh, well, it's going to be tough with Acuna. Yeah, Ruiz has 11. But if Acuna starts hitting homers, that's fewer times to steal, and uh, and that's part of the deal yeah. too there. So By the way, know, he could, he could slow is down. there a better video? I, I just had typed in his name just to see if there's any news as I said it. Is there a better video than that video um, that's out from a couple days ago where – uh, Perdomo is running to home and Corbin Carroll could literally pass him. Like they are <laughs> next to each other running from thing. That is how fast he is. There's a great, go look if you haven't seen the video out there. A lot of different sites have it. Codify, Cut4, all that. But uh, Corbin Carroll is like literally piggybacking on Perdomo running to home. Yeah, and Perdomo yeah. really shouldn't be slow. He plays shortstop. Like it's not, it's not picking on like the backup catcher or someone who can't yeah. run in the clip. So uh, that's, Corbin Carroll, I, I said before the show, he, his legs are, are faster than his brain can tell him to slow down. It's like it, that's how fast he is. It's not a knock on him at all. He's just unbelievably fast. Let me ask you guys something. What makes Corbin Carroll not a sec- top two round pick next year? Like, like see what he is right now. What is the thing that makes him understanding like who he is, the trajectory of where he's at? He's improved his walk rate, strikeout rate's low. Like, how does he become not a top two round player? Uh, if he just if he underperforms his barrel rate and only hits like fifteen homers this year, and okay, even so 50, then, fifteen homers. But what if he has forty stolen bases? Right, even then, fifteen yeah. forty still probably goes in the middle of the second round. It's like kind of Trey Turner esque, you know? It's yeah. yeah, and that's and. It, 
fifteen forty goes in the middle of the second round, if it comes with a, a good average instead of a great average, if he's hitting three hundred plus, he's still probably a first he's rounder first at fifteen forty. Yeah. yeah, I think the Trey yeah. Turner, the way people traded Trey Turner at the beginning of his career, I think it's going to be very similar to how Corbin Carroll is treated if the numbers look at all the way they look so far once we get to the end of the season. Speaking of speed, Estiri Ruiz, stealing tons of bases. <laughs> so if you drafted him, I think you're you're fine. Like you're you're happy, right? You're, you, but we were still right. <laughs> but we're we're still we're still right. But you're you're getting what you wanted from him. Eleven but steals. Wrong. <laughs> it's tied for the most among rookies with Jiwon Bay, who actually has kind of the identical skill set. They almost have the exact same everything. Ruiz strikes out a little less or has struck out a little less so far. And I think other than that uh, that botched diving catch attempt with uh, Mason Miller on the mound, <laughs> I think Ruiz's defense in center field has actually been at least okay. Good enough to keep him in the lineup every day. The A's wanted to play every day because he was a huge part of that trade, so... Clearly, someone they are prioritizing. But now that you've seen some more of Ruiz at the big league level, Welsh, what do you see short-term and long-term? Who are we comping him to? And do you think he's actually, in some weird way, kind of hurt his long-term value in keeper and dynasty leagues because of the the shape of these first 29 games this season? Uh, Yeah, so I think a lot of people had built in that Esteri Ruiz could be Alberto Mondesi. Like, you know, that peak Mondesi where they're like, you know, he was 15, 20 homers, all those stolen bases. I think that is like a perception that got into people because of what he was doing in the minors. And what you're seeing right now is he exemplifies so much of those zero homer type of guys. Like I think I always like a DJ LeMahieu with his Miles like 2% barrel rate. Miles straw with no, with no uh, patience. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly like he lives in that world. Uh, with no patience though. Interestingly enough, he has an under 20% K rate, uh, but he's not walking. That's more what you're talking that's about. I mean, not walking and also chasing a ton. It's all hit tools. Yeah. No, I, you know, he had that one year blip in walk rates. And in fact, if you look underneath the hood, a lot of those were hit by pitches. Yeah, so, so I think he's I think he's just lowered the value that it's a good point. I think it's a more it's a higher categorical mile straw for whatever that is for people because of the stolen base numbers. But at the end of the day, with the power seemingly looking like it's not something the low barrel rate. I mean, he is in the bottom 10 percent, bottom 8 percent of technically the league in average exit velocity. He's just not going to tap into those big power numbers and he has to get on base to steal. So I think that's a worry. A guy that's like chasing a whole bunch and doesn't walk. Very cool that he has a 255 batting average, but his XBA is 20 points lower and he has no other floor to help him out. He has to get on base to provide you value. And that's, and he has to get on base by hits. Yeah, 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 exactly. He has to hit to get on base. So I think it, um, if anything, I tend to be a little bit more cautious about guys like him. I was probably cautious in my dynasty value and I don't think he's done anything to improve it. He's just out there getting time to go, but I think he's as worrisome uh, as it comes. It'd be such a strange season. If he just kept doing what he's doing, which players never do, right? They don't just take their first, 30 games He'll and repeat it five homers. times. The max exit velocity is in the 46 percentile, so there's a little bit of hope there that it's what you'd call non-zero power, that high single digits are possible. The ballpark, the home park, works against him in a pretty big he's way. He's not getting to 33% barrel rate is in the very bottom. Yeah, it's a lot of blue on the, on the StatCast page. It's bad, so. yeah. 3.4% barrel rate, which is worse than last year, uh, by the way. Yeah, so... 
that's where your rookie speed has come from in the, the greatest numbers, but obviously Carroll running a ton, Juwan Bay running a ton, Volpe settling in a bit after a slow start. That was something that I kind of thought we'd see. Just It takes guys time. That's why it's so fun to look at these numbers now. And It's basically, are you playing well enough to avoid the demotion? That's most of the analysis right now. It's that, and then based on what you see so far, how much do you alter that trajectory long-term for players throughout this group? On the non-speed side, Josh Young is mashing. K percentage is up right now, 32.4%. I think this is kind of similar to the conversation we are having with Outman, but the difference is Josh Young doesn't have quite that same seems-like-a-finished-product feel to him. He's lost a lot of time to injuries. Um, he is 25. Oh, he's 25 as he well. He is 25, but he's missed a lot of time because of injuries, so you factor that in, plus the 2020 season that Outman also missed. What's next? For Josh Young, because when he was when he was a younger prospect, when he first got drafted by the Rangers, His minor league strikeout rates are much better than Outman. I kind of thought that was a realistic expectation for him, and he never seemed like a guy that had bad like bad hit tools in these scouting reports. It was always at least an average sort of hit tool, and for a guy that could hit in the middle third of the lineup with thump, I've been excited about him for a long time. So, it's kind of a similar question I just asked you guys about Outman. Is it going to get better? Is it going to stay the same? Or is it actually going to get worse for Josh Young with this K rate? Um, I'm going to be go. more definitive on this one and say it's going to get better and it's going to cross under 30%. And he has the chance, he has a much better chance of getting it to 25% at some point in his career. Because I do believe in the relevance of minor league numbers. Now, I don't think that they're, you know, gospel but they tell us something about what, what's going on. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an adjustment period and also a post-injury adjustment period uh, that we're in the middle of for him. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think something I saw a ton, I was just at Rangers camp a whole bunch this year, and there were multiple times that Josh Young was individually working in different sessions. And one of them, I've talked about in a couple of different places, but he had this, I've never seen this before. It was like an individual... 30 plus minute BP session where he was just tanking homers. And he had like, he hit, I'm not even joking. He hit like nine straight. They were just absolute tanks. And what I took out of that was that I think they knew the type of power that he could tap into. Cause he wasn't a power ish guy. He was more of a contact guy like back in college. And I think they've wanted him to tap into that. So I actually look at this as part of still that prospect that process that's going on. He's oh, learning tapping to, into the power. He's learning to hit for more power. And what comes with that are usually higher strikeout rates and adjustment periods. So I think that's what we're dealing with right now is he is going through a lot, plenty of missed time to tap more into that power. And it's becoming a little bit more aggressive. You just talked earlier. Hey, how can we make James Outman be more aggressive and not walk? I think that is part of what is going on with Josh Young. So I also definitively agree that this will get better. And I think he's an under 30% strikeout guy. And I think this is the development of a more impactful power bat that I think this lineup is looking for just beyond like Corey Seager. Yeah, I've been operating under that assumption as someone who has him in a long-term keeper league. So I just wanted to make sure I wasn't seeing what I wanted to see. <laughs> just looking past something pretty significant that would point to the alternative. He only barely has a better max EV than Ruiz. That's very interesting, but he taps into it more often. So, you know, I guess that could mean more, just more of his swings are a swings. Whereas Ruiz is taking more swings to try to put the ball in play. I don't think Ruiz would be served by taking more a swings, but it is interesting to think that they have similar underlying raw power. I think 
Ruiz might actually be using the right approach for his home park. If Ruiz played for That's the Reds really, and yeah. could hit cheaper home runs, then maybe more A swings would actually make sense in that case. But plays for the A's, so <laughs> dealing with the park that he has for, for half of his games. I, I want to ask you guys if there are any potential buy lows among the prospects who are seemingly flirting with demotions to AAA, right? So it's about keeping your job. It's about playing enough doing well enough with that opportunity to stay in the big leagues. And when you sort well, this leaderboard by one war, of these, I didn't mean to interrupt you. One of these actually happened as we were going. One of these got demoted. Ah, so I don't know which one it is right? yet. Yeah. You guys want to take a guess and list the names and you guys can guess one of these. Someone got demoted while we're on the show. Yep, yeah, so, someone got so, demoted as we started. Is it the first three or is it the whole group of five? It include? is in the first three that you're going to mention. I, I one that was way too much glee. I'm sorry. So. I'm sorry. Yeah. Good luck to that person. Right. I'm, I, I didn't mean to. I just it's kind of funny for the podcast. <laughs> okay. Dino got so excited. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ouch. Well, at least it happened while we were recording. Roll that one back for a second. Tristan Cassis, Oscar Colas, or Ezekiel Tovar. Who do you one think got demoted? Francisco you know? Alvarez. Francisco Alvarez? He's not part of that. Casas, Colas, Tovar. One of those three just Wait, got why sent do you, down. Really? One of those three. Like, why do you know that? Welsh just said one of them got sent down. Yeah, it's one of oh. these three on his... They're on the on, rundown. On, on the rundown sheet. They're on rundown, which, yeah, See, I yeah. always look at. Casas, Colas, <laughs> Tovar. One is no longer on the Major League team. I'm going to go with... Mm, I'll get my guess in Tovar. first. Okay, you, you got Tovar. I, I'm going to say Colas. The White Sox are having the... the internal oh, crisis the, oh, moment right now where we're in trouble yeah the owners and speaking at conferences and it's all yeah. it's and all the going winner is dvr yes. oscar colas been sent down to oh Charlotte. it's colas yep, he's gone he gone i think tobar still plays shortstop so you just be like all right just keep playing shortstop yeah colas is pretty bad below replacement level so far i mean tovar has been too uh so <laughs> so his cast colas is really interesting from a statistical standpoint, because um, you kind of look at these minor league numbers and you're like, wow, he hit 300 every stop, had power, uh, looks like, you know, he's ready to go. But if you look under the hood a little bit, you're like, oh, that 24% strikeout rate in AA came with a 17% swing strike rate. And we went to AAA, that was a 21. So it's not great contact. It's pretty aggressive, no patience. And then once you bring in the agent level, uh, you know, it's not his fault. He's uh, he, he defected from Cuba. And so he was an older guy. But that A ball, uh, which was, uh, you know, 30 percent better than league average. He was, you know, 23, 24 years old for that. And mm -hmm. he kind of, you know, he did perform at double A AA and triple A where he was more age appropriate. Uh, but age is definitely part of uh, this. The fact that he's not just doing what he did in the minor leagues and i think like a lot of these guys we've talked about i think there's just a seasoning and pitch recognition thing that goes on because he can run for his size he's got really immense power the swinging strike rate compared to his k rate is definitely a problem but it's also like a semi-positive that this isn't we're not dealing with like uh like outman like 34 percent if you look at the swing and strike rate compared to like 30 True. plus percent strike he hit rate, a ball a 113 you know yeah. like the raw power is there seven percent barrel rate's not that bad he just had but... an under 200 xba which is a huge problem and part of the reason that the white Sox made 11 moves today just want to point out that it was 11. <laughs> but it's like there's like um reinstatement options paternity leaves they're, they're, go look at the list it's quite it's 11 different moves they made today uh is hendrix back 
And Hendrix is not back yet, but they uh, Joe Kelly went it's on the paternity close. list. Uh, Tim Anderson I, that's got activated. Two things that I got wrong this year, just from a, a drafting standpoint, was I didn't think Liam Hendrix would pitch this year. I, I in fact, quote unquote, did my own research where I looked up like recovery times, and it's not like a lot of uh, ball players have gotten his cancer. So the, you know, the recovery times are for you know everybody, and he's you know an athlete. So I guess that's not. Super surprising, but also Bryce Harper coming back so quickly. Like the two of those uh, surprised me. I figured I figured at least another month for both of them, you know, before they were back and uh, to have them both be back early in May. Uh, I don't know what that means, though. Is that something that you would change your philosophy going forward in drafting is be more aggressive with people who are currently hurt? I no. see. I think that's like the most difficult. Yeah, I think everybody wants to not be in on injuries. I don't. I don't think you can't. Yeah. I think Harper was very specifically different, though, because it's like he was going to DH. You didn't have to worry about the field, which I think made it feel a little bit better. But I think overall, I don't think they can really change any true timelines. Like you could have played the same game about Altuve. And Al we haven't heard a peep about Altuve off of his injury. So um, probably That's not. Point. I, I'm thinking back to previous position players to have Tommy John surgery. I think we're so used to pitchers taking a year plus that our brains cannot really handle the position player recovery window being shorter. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Bryce Harper getting back this quickly, but I also, I, I think the, the idea of a, a position player getting back in about six months is actually not as far fetched as it seems, right? If a pitcher beats the timetable of a year by a month or two, that is absurd. What Harper is doing is sort of at the, normal aggressive end as exciting as that is uh, it does not make me want to change my injury risk tolerance uh, in drafts i think i probably have been too tolerant of that for for too long i've, I've taken on too much risk over the years uh, for colas he had his tommy john surgery two months before trevor story two months before trevor story yeah well uh, also each procedure is a little different everyone heals differently mm -hmm. so I don't know. There's there's also those factors you got to account for as well. Flip a coin. Are either of you trading for Colas in long-term leagues right now? He's played seven games in his career at AAA. You know, mentioned, you know, defecting from Cuba, having some long layoffs in his professional development just because of time where he wasn't able to play. But I wouldn't give up on him completely based on the, the slump and the quick demotion. So is he worth going after and keeper in dynasty leagues right now? What do you think, Welsh? I think he is. I think uh, he fits a whole lot of uh, narratives that I kind of dig in buying sometimes. He's come, he broke the, you know, camp, broke roster, but now prospect fatigue is in. No one cares about him because he's up at the roster. He's also had struggles, which is just going to exacerbate this entire uh, prospect fatigue where people are going to be really out like, oh, we've seen everything we have because those underlying numbers, you know, an under 200 XBA and stuff, that's not great. But the positives for me, are the big hard hit numbers, the lack of crazy strikeouts. He also was running. And I'd also throw this out. They, they got to demolish this team. I mean, it, it's one thing to t go and to make 11 moves today, and they brought up guys like Billy Hamilton and uh, Sammy Peralta or whatever. Like, those are the guys they brought up. This team is going to get dismantled at some point, and Oscar Colas is going to get free reign to run. 
And I think some of the underlying of the big He'll max come up EV, and be the everyday starter, yeah, at some point. Pl- big plus hard hit number, uh, one thirteen max EV, lack of strikeouts. I think he's a talented player that just needs more seasoning, and this happens with these guys. So I think he's actually like a really good buy right now. I was actually going to ask you guys of Colas uh, versus Outman. Who would you rather buy right now? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I know they're pay up for Outman in a long term. Pay league. up for Outman, okay. Well, I mean, I guess in a long term league, if if we're operating under the assumption from the beginning of the show that in a keeper and dynasty league, the room full of people playing are a little bit skeptical of Outman as a group, and you're not paying as much as you would in a redraft league, yes, I'd rather trade for Outman than Colas right now. Interesting. I have biases against the type of player Colas is at the plate in terms of you know very lots of chase. Lots of swing and miss, not much patience. Um, and so I can't help but think of the different leagues I have. A lot of them are OBP or points, and I just I'm out on him for that. Mm. Uh, but in a batting average and a five by five, yeah, I could see I could see buying now. You have to be the kind of league where you can demote him or you have a bench or you know what I mean? Like it can't be like it can't be a place where you have a five or ten man bench. I agree with that. You're gonna you have to stick him somewhere. I, I think Unfortunately for the White Sox front office, there's going to be major overhaul, right? Rakan in the front office, probably going to get fully replaced. Things are not going well there right now. And maybe for the sake of, of White Sox fans, maybe Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney could swoop in and buy them next. I mean, things are going really well at Wrexham. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds has a lot of money. I don't know if he has Major League Baseball franchise money. But he knows yeah, some other Dead, rich people. So Deadpool 3 is coming out here soon. Yeah, see, so Dead, he, Deadpool yeah. 3 <laughs> might put it over the top. So I think if you're a White Sox fan, that's who you're rooting for. You're rooting for for the, the Wrexham duo for to Ryan come in. Reynolds. <laughs> but here's my question for you with, with Colas. I, I think from a just a general who we thought he was versus what's happening right now, it's a good time to buy regardless what you think of the profile. How many success stories in recent years do we have with the White Sox developing hitters, getting hitters to actually be the players they're supposed to be, even highly coveted international free agents, early draft picks. It's more underperformance than even meeting expectations. Much worse than they expect. almost. Right. Something seems fundamentally broken in getting the players from more than any other team in the big leagues and have for like the last three to five years. Some of that's like the players you choose. Some of that's like within the selection, the profiles you're willing to take on in the first place. But if you can't make those players even a little bit better, you're doing some things wrong or you're missing opportunities. I think when they tear this down, could it be as ugly as what happened in Oakland? Probably not because that's like, that's willful destruction. I think they'll rebuild a little better in Chicago, 
But I also don't see a lot of pieces on the next great White Sox team here either. I don't see a lot of young players up and down this organization that I'm actually excited about. I really thought this could be the breakthrough year for Eloy Jimenez. It still could be. But now you start looking at these guys and thinking about the direction of this franchise and you think, Eloy could get traded. Andrew Vaughn could get traded. Dylan Cease could get traded. If you're going to start turning this thing around, ideally you want your next group of people in the front office to make those trades. Those guys are much more likely to be playing somewhere else than on the next great White Sox team. My only argument to, I agree with everything you said. My only argument would be is like, if you're looking at it like, man, what has really worked out? And it's like, well, all the guys you did talk about have made it to the majors. And like Eloy has had good seasons and Robert has had some theoretical good seasons and Andrew Vaughn has developed actually pretty well. And Moncada would be one of the biggest we'd look at. He's been garbage. And then this year before getting hurt, he was playing back up. So I think there's a bigger, maybe longer term developmental cultural thing that I don't think the guys ever live up to the expectations, but I wouldn't say that they always are kind of like big failures. So I wouldn't look at those guys and then put that to Oscar Colas and see like, oh, well, he won't work out. I mean, by virtue of what they've done, technically he'll probably make it to the majors. He'll have a season or two that will work out and then they don't know how to maintain it and it will kind of fail. So uh, it's a little blanket statement, I guess, overall, but I still believe in Oscar Colas. I think it's way too early to pull the pen, and I think people will because of the fatigue and the very, very small sample size, but it is hard to deny like what an absolute train wreck this organization is, and they have not, they don't have enough good guys in the minors to be this bad at the majors, and that's like a really big problem. Like You can't be this bad, and then who are you bringing up? Colson Montgomery, Lyndon Sosa? And who else? That's, there, there, there isn't. Yeah. I guess that's where my bigger issue is, right? You don't have a lot of development success stories in the the next wave. Guys like Eloy, who they yeah. traded for, he's supposed to be good. You throw a ton of money at, relatively speaking, a ton of money at someone like Luis Robert, in international free agency, you're not necessarily making him a big leaguer. You're getting a guy that's almost a certain big leaguer from day one. Yeah, so to it, your point, that's what they've done. They've got, they've kind of bought more closer, even Oscar Colas, more closer to finished products. Mm-hmm. And the times that they've had to really fully develop it's been a disaster i think of uh, garrett crochet who just pitched his first game in like a year that was a guy that with the quickest run from college baseball to the majors lower development has not been their play linian sosa actually might be the closest i can think of like a low low uh guy who i remember seeing back here in the the complex league that got to the majors but he's not a stud better yeah he's not these other guys vaughn vaughn did too vaughn was probably the best of this but he was a first round pick right he was a first round pick and but he did play complex he was a college bat yeah the the development is a big question yeah uh here let's put this uh, colas potential stash in 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 perspective let's say uh, let's say you're kind of playing for this year, but it's like one of those leagues where maybe you have an NA slot or, you know, a place you can put a minor leaguer. Um, and you're also kind of looking at this list, which is, uh, the best double a hitters, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that are 25, 24 and younger. And so you're saying, if I have one stash, you know, I got one stash, like Oscar Colas is on my team. You know, but I could drop him for and number one in WRC plus 24 and younger is Henry Davis. Um, other names that don't have uh, large strikeout rates and seem kind of close to the major leagues that are on this list are Evan Carter, number five, the center fielder for Texas. Uh, Heston Kirstad, who we've talked about on last week's show. Uh, he's number six, Baltimore. He's playing some first base. Uh, Nick York for Boston, who seems just 
they seem like they need help <laughs> anywhere. Uh, he's got a 21% K rate and the ninth best, uh, uh, you know, uh, strike a nice ninth best WRC plus among uh, 24 and youngers at double a do any of those guys, uh, you know, come up before Colas or, you know, yeah, basically come up before Colas or any of those guys are better stat. So Carter's the best of all of them, but I just don't know if he comes up this year. He's the total package, best prospect of all of them. I just don't know the path. So if I was playing in like a dynasty keeper or some format, I'd be hard pressed to not pick him up. I'd have to have him, but that's not really what you're asking of those players. Because I don't think Carter is a like huge, huge option this year. I think I might do it for Kerstad. I really hate dropping Colos, but um, you know, Kirst- this is more sort of a redrafty. Like I don't, this isn't like a, I keep 25 players every year. Yeah, I, I don't think Henry Davis is the answer to that. I think it's Kerstad. I think Kerstad is the answer to that with where he can play, with how hot the bat has been. Though you also can argue, I mean, what did we do last week? We're like, here's these three middle infielders. Which one comes up? And it was Joey Ortiz. That's still not even talking about <laughs> Colton Kowser that they have on this team. So they have just a plethora of great how options. How about this, there. though? Leody Tavares has a 64 WRC+. plus. Yeah, I think I think we're reaching the point with Leody Tavares. We've seen enough of this movie. It's just negative it's just not defense happen. right now. Negative war right now. He's got 700 career plate appearances. Still young enough. I guess he can't totally write him off. He'll turn 25 in September. But a 74 a 28, WRC almost a 29% K rate, 5% barrel rate. You, you can't play him often. Keep looking like you keep looking at that 112 max EV, but he's just not tapping into like it. Like I'm looking at their roster right now. So they got Ezekiel Duran at shortstop. And I wonder Do you think they could move him to center? I think they could move Seager him to back? like left where Jankowski is, and Adolis has got right. Oh, so if you're focusing Garcia on center field, center? Carter could play there, but what about Bubba Thompson? They might want to get a good look at Bubba Thompson here. Um, I, I don't want to dismiss maybe. the idea that Evan Carter can't come up because whenever I do, I mean, maybe I should, because whenever I do that, the guy gets called up like 24 hours later. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm circling his name. They covet I think him. This I, is a team they covet him. that's playing well. I don't think much of Bubba Thompson myself, and I wouldn't be surprised if they thought of him as just an up and down type uh, that can fill in when there's injury, but not the future. If they decide to make a switch on Tavares, I don't think it's to a short-term guy. It is to uh, the next guy that I think is a long-term solution. Yeah, I, I would also say... their division. The Astros are a game and a half back, nipping at their heels. They've lost something with uh, Seager out of the lineup. Maybe, maybe they make this switch. I think Carter is one of the more interesting bat stashes there that's out there. If they don't give that to Bubba Thompson. What I think is it goes to Evan Carter. If if they let Bubba run with that center field and they play the corners, Dustin Harris is a guy that might come up first. They might give him first run because Carter did have some pretty significant missed developmental time due to injury that I don't know Mm -hmm. if they'd want to push him. They also covet him as like their top prospect and they know he's the future. They would not trade him. He's not been available in trade talks, anything like that where some of these guys are, that I don't know if they would push that envelope. So if if center was open and it's not Bubba, they might actually just go to Carter. If it's a corner, I actually think Dustin Harris might be the next guy. Or you want to get Duran some full time because he's been really great. Uh, I think that's where they would maybe shove Duran over into left. And then you're just kind of looking at a, it's, it's this Bubba Thompson versus Evan Carter situation. 
Well, there's uh there's also a thing going on right now that um they're carrying three catchers because of Mitch Garver playing DH. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And D- Mitch Garver Mitch caught- Garver as a catcher. Well, he's caught three games this year. Yeah, it's good enough. It counts as a catcher. Well, who is it? San what Leon I'm just saying is, yeah, San okay. Leon's third. What I'm what I'm saying is, what if that three becomes three in the next week? That's something that I would watch for. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because that means if that becomes three, because I don't think San Leon is something that they worry about. San Leon's a guy they got on a minor league deal. You know, he's he's the guy. He's around. You know, <laughs> San Leon's are always around. And so if Mitch Garver is starting to catch more games, then I say that opens up a possibility that Dustin Harris or Evan Carter come up anyway. Because you've got DH, and you can you can start to pull people through. You can even make Tavares the backup center fielder. You know, so there's like, you know, there's 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 some roster influidity caused by having Mitch Garver on this team at DH. From a, a profile perspective, do either of you think there's a significant difference in what Bubba Thompson brings to the table compared to Estere Ruiz? Because I, I see mm. the, the little bit of contact data we have from Thompson at the big league level is just as uninspiring. Tons of speed. Maybe can, less inspiring. Can play center field, but I think you're getting a very Ruiz similar... Ruiz makes more contact. Very, very similar profile. Ruiz makes more contact. Mm, yeah, and, yeah, well, and I think Ruiz is less of a strikeout worry than Bubba Thompson. I mean, That's what I'm I saying, don't... Yeah think he's the option but i mean bubba did have a great run towards the end they kind of keep running him out there but offensively he looks bad and he doesn't hit the ball hard i would rather a straight ruiz over thompson but i think the comp is pretty fair and that but that's the whole thing of like i haven't wrapped my head around with teams is what what point is the team where they just don't care about like, oh, we got to push down and development and service time and stuff like that. Because Evan Carter is a better option than Bubba Thompson right now. But this team does have like Brad Miller who can play the corners. Josh Smith has played center field and did it in spring. They've got Bubba. They have all these guys. What point is they want to see what they have and they well, work that's... through it at the major league level versus screw it. We're getting our top guy up here and he's helping now. That's why I bring up the record. The record matters. Yeah. That's a good point. If they, if, if the if they I think if the Rangers were uh, even the opposite of what they are eleven and seventeen, um, you would be I think almost maybe I don't know would they be more or less <laughs> likely to cover, call up Carter? They'd be more likely to say, oh God, we can't be this bad again after all the money we spent. Yeah, direction matters, right? Overall direction, recent trends. I think that's what makes. But if it- you're seventeen and eleven, maybe you say, hey, we could. We could really do this. Let's push our chips in. But I think let's not worry as much about development time. Let's get Carter. I am texting. I'm texting a contact I have right now, and I'm not going to get an answer because we don't have enough time, probably. Right. But I am asking right now the likelihood uh, within Carter, that organization Harris, that they would uh, be open to Carter. Uh, so we'll <laughs> probably have to save it for the next week's episode when I have right. a response. But I'm texting about that right now because that is one of the few teams I do have like a direct contact to. Well, well, Kerstad, I think you make a similar argument for him and, and most Orioles prospects. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Not all these guys are ready, so why hold anything back? Henry Davis, other than the injuries that have cost him time in the minors for the Pirates, the Pirates are playing with house money at this start right now. So if they have any inkling that they can push more chips in, especially inexpensive chips, and just keep trying to get better for this year, Henry Davis is one of the absolute most inexpensive levers they can pull. League minimum salary. They can call him up, see what happens. Especially if it doesn't work, they can send since him down. they have another catcher. So, like, you mm-hmm. know, like if it doesn't work out, they actually have another guy they can just try. I think everybody you listed in that question 
in the who would you rather hold in an NA spot for this year versus Colas, I'd actually rather have any one of those guys over Colas. I think all of them wow. are more compelling players by ceiling, and it could be just as long. Colas is going to be in AAA for at least, what, three or four weeks? If he goes on a tear at that level, he's barely played at that level in the past. So if they give him even a month, if we flip the calendar to June and he's back up, that might be the timetable for a lot of those names you mentioned because an injury might happen, more more wins in the case of the Pirates could happen, and they're gonna the confidence is gonna keep growing in a place like that. They're gonna say, why not? Why not bring this guy up? He's gonna be part of this young core. Let's see what he can do. I think Nick York comes up last because he just got to Double A, but I did want to put him in there because he was a high pick that people didn't understand, but now he's finally put together both power and contact in a way that I think the Red Sox obviously thought uh, was possible. And then you just look at their options right now on the infield and you think, you know, uh, is Enrique Hernandez an everyday uh, shortstop? Uh, Christian Arroyo, who hasn't who's, hasn't been league average for his career with his bat, is at 62 WRC plus. At Alberto Mondesi is not uh, not in the Mac from his IL stint yet. <laughs> Still hurt. <laughs> Still hurt. Uh, shows shows what I know. Uh, so I, I think that you know just maybe having York and pushing all those guys over to short might might be a thing that they consider. You also have to figure Trevor Story is going to be back at some point. So I think Colas over York, but the rest of the names, yeah. Let's get to a few more names here, kind of looking from a long-term perspective. We can dig more into a pitching leaderboard once we get a few more starts from a lot of the pitchers. I mean, free fought, as it says, over Welsh's shoulder. We want to see more of these guys actually get into the big leagues. And for the guys that just got here, we want to see what they do with four or five starts. It's it's hard to look at that leaderboard and, and talk about more than largely a group of relievers and, and Hunter Brown, who we talked about. Uh, on yesterday's show, like seeing the good things out of Grace Rodriguez as well. Uh, but Welsh, you were including some of the dynasty movers on our rundown for today. And I, I think Wander Franco is the guy that we all kind of hoped he was going to be from the very beginning, right? It, it's happening. And I think it's not that surprising. Although if there was any window where you could have got him from anyone in a keeper dynasty league at all, that window has slammed shut. If that window was even open in the first place, because I think, I think it was most people who had wander were still probably waiting it out, but there are probably some that in the right situation were willing to move him, And now they would not be. I think it was, I, I this is, it doesn't always work when I get stubborn. Um, I, I'm probably of like people that rank like in dynasty and prospects. I'm probably more stubborn than others in that. Like, I'm, or was maybe slower moving to some degrees where I think there's like aggressive jumps and whoa, every guy's into here, here, here. And I'll like, I have like a slow tier. Uh, but the same thing applies to moving down. And Wander, I kept Wander still as like a top 25 ish dynasty prospect, even though I know there was so much working against him. But I really believed in the fir- that first month we saw last year and the injury taking it away. And we've seen that. So as far as identifying, you know, looking at my, my top 25 on dynasty, the biggest mover was wander being able to move from where he was into being essentially almost a first round pick. And I think what's really fascinating is this is, you can have the conversation of like Bo Bichette versus him. Bo doesn't run anymore. And wander looks like, you know, I don't, I think just like dramatically a better uh, option than that, but it's kind of like, um, you know, is it Bo? Is it wander? I think he's moved. I think wander has moved past, uh, 
uh, Francisco Lindor and some of those guys, but he's like a first round pick. So it's Bobby Witt, Wander Franco. I think he's right in that range. And a 15 team, he's a first round. So as far as one of the biggest dynasty moves, I think we got a lot of confirmation. A, is he a first round pick in redrafts next year? Mm. No. I think it's I think it's close though. I mean, I asked like if he hits his rest of season projections, he hits uh, th- uh, two. 90 with uh, 19 homers and 21 stolen bases. Yeah, if he's a 2020 guy with a 300 batting average and a, a team that, you know, is the most offensive powerfully, his RBI numbers might touch 100. If he's 2020, I think it's mm. going to be hard-pressed to not have him as a first-rounder. He's at least going to be fringe early second in a 15-team roto. I think he's right in that territory. Yeah, there's always the wanting to round up on players in that range too, especially the guys in the back of the first round. You could talk yourself into the younger player on the way up over the older player on the way down. Mookie mm. Betts has kind of been that older player theoretically oh. on the way down the last few you're, years. You're so trippy that you did that. I'm not even joking you. I have Wander one spot above Mookie in Dynasty, and I was looking at those two, and I was going to ask that exact question of <laughs> next year of Mookie versus one Mookie also qualified shortstop probably uh, next year as well. Oh, That's so funny you did that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think at this point, I think you can start to take Wander ahead of, of those sort of legacy first rounders, even if Especially since Mookie has one stolen base. Even if you believe in Mookie, it's so weird. Like, the Bo Bichette stolen base arc, which I know this is the prospect day, but it, he wasn't a burner when he was running, and he was a really effective base dealer, so I didn't expect it to fall off as quickly as it did. Mookie. No, no, Bichette. Bo, oh, Bo, that's right. Bo it, stopped it, running so, at a much yeah, younger age. at some point age. he was... 25 out of 26, and the next year he was 13 out of 24. Right, and, and part of it, you could see it in the sprint speed. Wander's not a burner either. He's 61st percentile in sprint speed. He's only 22, but two or three years from now, is Wander going to steal more than a handful of bases? Mm, I don't know. He looks, he's an he looks aggressive like he's, base dealer. He looks like he's still getting bigger and stronger, too. Yeah, I agree with that. And I just wonder if that's going to sap some of the speed. than steal 10 bases in, you know, in three years. He might, even, he might even hit 40 home runs three years from now. I, I'd be more inclined yeah. to bet on Wander hitting 40 home runs in a season in the next three years than having him steal 30 bases in a season. But, you know who he's fashioned his whole game against is uh, Jose Ramirez, though. Mm. Interesting. Yes, that's interesting. You brought him up because I was also going to say, like, I think there's the argument that Wander is maybe the top real true shortstop and Trey Turner would be the guy we're staring at. But, you know, Trey's four stolen bases, two homers, 260 playing under, you know, underperforming. But, you know, if he kind of goes back to 25, 30 stolen bases and right under 20 homers, is that going to be significantly better than Wander, who maybe has more homers, a little less stolen bases, but might have better RBI and batting average numbers. I mean, that this is the range that Wander sits in. That's why I had brought it up. Good I also question. got an update, by the way, on the Evan Carter thing. I actually did get an update. Yeah, what's going oh, on with Evan Carter? Hear it? Yeah. Um, so the update I got, this is from someone within the team, said, depends where we are at, probably goes to AAA first. If he hits there, could be up during the summer. So that's the Evan Carter stuff. So I mean, there is an acknowledgement. It's Leotis, of, dude. Everyone's looking at Leotis and being like, we got this other guy. So here's what to watch. Evan Carter getting pushed up to AAA quickly. And um, when that happens, the clock probably starts. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. 
Uh, just for reference, the summer solstice this year is on Wednesday, June 21st. That is the beginning of summer. So if someone says something will happen during the summer, that's the first day that it can happen if it's actually going to happen during the summer. <laughs> you just brought out the definition of summer. <laughs> I talk about elevations. I talk about the solstice. Whatever, whatever you are ready necessary. to be a dad. <laughs> it's not, next time, talk about talk about you know where we are in Mercury retrograde, and then we'll be good to go. <laughs> I definitely had yeah. many conversations with my kids about the definition of it's not even summer yet, Dad. It's not officially summer. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> Grayson Rodriguez also a big mover on the pitching side, and Welsh were seeing yeah. an elevated walk rate early on. I wouldn't worry about an elevated walk rate for anybody over five, six starts. So I, I'm definitely not worried about it there. But what's but it does fit into that like the narrative of him sending him down right like that that was what people were worried about yeah lots of strikeouts though lots of k's i think you'll take you'll take that that, that's a good combination ratios are a little chunky right now 407 era 140 whip you wouldn't really expect that for a guy that's missing that many bats Uh, do you think he's actually up for good from a dynasty perspective doesn't necessarily matter but is I Has he done he enough to change their plans? Well, I got a great dynasty question real quick for you. Uh, I do think that you're, especially from a developmental standpoint, you're not going to send him back now, especially when he's seen success, even though there's warts. Uh, but who would you rather have in dynasty right now? Grayson Rodriguez or Nick Lodolo? Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I'm Rodriguez Easy. over Lodolo. I think it's kind of always okay. been that way for me. Oh, all injury okay. history with Lodolo too. I mean, okay. we can't remember, we can't forget that, you know, he couldn't stay healthy for a while. Yeah, a little more, mm-hmm. little more of it with Rodriguez has been kid gloves. I know he has been hurt also. Wow, the, the home run issues for Lodolo are awful. And Worry that so. park is obviously yeah. not going to help that. Is Lodolo, though, a good long-term target right now? Is this your window to possibly get him for much less than you would have had to pay during the offseason? I'm going to burn on this one because, yeah, I think, I, I'm think i still kind of a buy. I think the pitch mix is kind of weird right now. You know, I feel like we talked about this, like, He's not throwing the curve or maybe I was talking with someone else. Like the curve usage has been a little bit down. That's his best pitch. Uh, I think it is. And it he's looks doing like, that because he's going to the, uh, the four seam more yeah. uh, than the sinker and the sinker pairs well with the curve. Uh, I'm a buy. I think he's a buy because I think it's dirt cheap right now. And I think he is far too talented, but there is so many concerns. I get why people might not you want could just him. buy him on K minus BB alone. The, you really can. Thir- yeah. 30% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate. Like the, Better days are coming for yeah. Lodolo. He gets hit in the zone a lot. 450 batting average on balls in play against Nick Lodolo on top of the home run issue. So if you're wondering how the ERA gets up above six and how the whip gets to that's the not. 1.73, well, that's that's it. But projections are all still buying in. Projections are mostly... The bat has the, <laughs> the least optimistic projection, 449 and 132 for the ratios. Steamer, near the mid threes, 361 with a 119, ATC 392 with a 123 whip, all of those projection systems over a strikeout per inning. So this is a profile that if you've got a pitching problem right now, Nick Lodolo, reasonably speaking, should be affordable. He might actually be able to help you despite what's happened so far. Agreed. Are there, I'm always, the, I'm the stash guy. I'm like, uh, I, I do play a lot of Dynasty, but I, you know, I'm the redraft stash guy. So are there any stashes left other than Brandon Fott? Uh, Gavin Williams is, uh, I, I don't know how many more guardians we can like really go down and stash, but uh, he's the best of all of them. So uh, Gavin Williams is a stash. Kyle Harrison is a stash. Both Although of- Kyle Harrison threw 
12 straight sinkers for balls in his last start. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and the, he might be a relief risk. And a guy we talked about, because um, I know we're getting towards the end here, uh, but Bobby Miller. Bobby Miller might be another yes, one Yes, I wanted guys. to. I, that was mine. Uh, Bobby guy. Miller is number two on AAA Stuff Plus, right behind Mason Miller. Uh, he is uh, the new name on the list because he's just uh, come up to AAA. And uh, Bobby Miller, I think it might be he. I like him better than Stone, uh, better than Grove, better than all of the other uh, Dodgers uh, pitchers that they're, that are going to come up this year, and they're all going to come up this year, I think. So Bobby Miller is my stat. Interesting you note too: four of his five pitches uh, are over a hundred stuff plus, which is absurd. Uh, registered pitches on your list, so people in the slider insane. Louis Varland's still in the top 10 and he is coming up this week, I believe. And he might have a month of, uh, of burn to him. He is more of a fastball slider guy with an average cutter and the model thinks a poor change. So as much as he pops and stuff, plus there may be some lefty issues, uh, where, you know, the cutter is only average ish and the change is below average. So I'm interested to see what he does against left. I'm beginning to wonder if Andrew Abbott should be stashed. I talked about him a little bit with Al on the Friday show. He's just done so much to improve his stock over the past calendar year. The Reds still have a few clear non-long-term starters in that rotation. Why not? Why not see what he can do at the big league level? I mean, the only thing you worry about with the Reds pitcher is the ballpark. If you like the skills... I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to take a chance on stashing the Abbott. Ballpark is there, there, really I, I totally agree with that. There was an interesting, <laughs> there was interesting put out about how they were doing some. They're working with like an experimental, I think, ball in Double A, and he had like an absurd IVP and twenty K per nine, and it kind of came back down to earth when he went to Triple A. But he is, uh, oh, he, he's uh, like it went the from like, tag ball is very strange. Yeah, it went to like sixteen like IVP from twenty or something, some, hmm. something along those lines. It was some absurd numbers, so it came back down to earth. Earth, but he's been throwing strikes. He's been really good. Uh, also, another little, this doesn't have to do with pitchers, but I just want to throw this out. A side note, a prospect note, uh, Xavier Edwards just called up by the Marlins. And why this is interesting is he's been working in the outfield. And I've been speculating, what if they put Xavier Edwards in center and they move Jazz off of center and brought him back to shortstop? But Xavier Edwards, also a second base shortstop prospect. So just know about that. Hits no homers, gets on base, <laughs> makes contact, steals bases, but is not what a home run threat. In the Snell trade. Yeah, another uh, stress yes. test of the, can he hit enough to use the speed? Yeah. yeah. But he can get on base. A guy can walk. He can do that. It's been a, it's a little bit worse as he's gone on, but... Um, he is also a defensive magnet. So I'm going to be fascinated to see where they move him because of the work he's been doing. In Something the has to happen at short. I don't think Joey Wendell is the solution. Yeah, I, they should put Jazz back at short. That seems like the better long-term play. And that's what I think could be this with Xavier. Like He's been working in the outfield. This might be the move for them to justify getting him back at short. 80 speed with a 50 future 70 hit tool, according to the Fangraph scouting report for Xavier Edwards. You don't see a lot of that anymore. Comes with, of course, very low in-game throwback. power. Yeah, throwback player as they as they refer to him. We are going to head out. If you've got a question for a future episode, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com is the email address. You can find us on Twitter. Welsh is at is it the Welsh. You know is at you know Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you'd like to get a subscription to the Athletic, it's a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com/slash ratesandbarrels. That's gonna do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.